This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a great day, a frosty one for sure. Uh, Be careful out there if you're driving around. It's going to be a bit slippery. Hopefully you have your winter tires on or have an appointment soon to get them put on. Well, a recent audit of Canada's fisheries shows nearly one in five wild fish stocks, or 17%, are still critically depleted, while the number of healthy stocks have declined since 2017. Furthermore, Oceana Canada says less than 20% of critically depleted stocks have rebuilding plans in place. Well, our guest today is Director of Science with Oceana Canada, Robert Rangeley. Hello. Hi, Linda. So walk us through some of the highlights of your latest fisheries audit. Yeah, certainly. And thanks for the opportunity. Uh, Yes, just a get your listeners on on track on what this is. I mean, every year we uh, Oceana Canada assesses the state of Canada's fisheries and fish management. Um, and so we, we really, we troll through all the government of it, uh, data and, and uh, documents around the, the fisheries. And, uh, you know, we thought by now, after six years, we'd start to see change given all the investment. But, you know, the, the, the top line findings are after six years, we still have uh, only like 30% of our stocks we can verify as healthy. Um, and we haven't moved sufficiently as a country on putting in place rebuilding plans and making decisions that are consistent with fisheries rebuilding. That's an investment in the future. And speaking of investments, you know, the federal government has invested considerable amount of money and time over the six-year period to um, to put in place good management and uh, science around our fish stocks, yet we still have over a third, about 37%. We don't actually know the status of those stocks, yet you know we continue to have fisheries on them. So that's um, a problem. And, um, and not all is doom and gloom. There has been some progress. And part of that is, and it gets right to the crux of what the problem has been for decades and decades. In fact, the whole history of our fisheries is um, we don't really have a law about sustainable fishing and rebuilding. The Fisheries Act never really specified what we need to do when our stocks are low, and it was totally up to the discretion of the fisheries minister. So, in uh, you know, in 2019, we got a new modernized fisheries act, and just this year, we got rebuilding uh, regulations that make rebuilding our depleted fisheries the law. And so now, and we can go into the, that detail if you like, but now the point is we have great expectations over the next couple of years. We'll have really strong rebuilding plans. The few rebuilding plans we have now are very weak, and they need they will be strengthened by law. And then it'll chart a course for the success of fisheries to help those depleted stocks grow out of the critical zone and help to keep those other stocks. There's some in like the cautious zone, keep them, you know, help move them to healthy and uh, maintain our healthy stocks for the future of our fisheries. Why do you suppose, uh, you know, this 
rebuilding plan has been so overlooked. I mean, we're 30 years now into a commercial Northern Cod moratorium. And as far as we know, no rebuilding plan has ever been put in place, even though it was promised in the early days. And I do remember that. Um, Why is it? Uh, I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? Now, uh, just for accuracy, we do have a uh, we now do have a uh, Northern Cod rebuilding plan, but it's not very good, and it'll have to. It won't meet the new regulations and the new guidelines on those regulations. It came out. It didn't even put in place a plan to get the stock out of critical zone. It didn't even look beyond, um, you know, just the sort of the current status. So very insufficient. Lots of people have written about this poor rebuilding plan. Uh, it was kind of an embarrassment. Um, however. Uh, there was an effort to get something out on Northern Cod, given its prominence and profile. And I guess we can give some acknowledgement of that, but it's not a plan for success. It's just a plan for uh, status quo. So now what we're going to see over the next couple of years is a, a renewed Northern Cod plan um, and uh, renewed plans for other critical zone stocks. And then the requirement is also to rebuild stocks. Uh, you know, the, the, the goal should not, we shouldn't have to rebuild stocks. What we should do, be doing is keeping them from becoming critical. And that means having consistent uh, decision-making, um, you know, not flip-flopping and, and uh, you, know, you know, putting in a high quota uh, one year when maybe the stock can't withstand that and then, you know, back and forth year after year. we got to look beyond the annual uh, short-term fisheries yields and really build for success. And, and that's possible. And that's, you know, we see that happen in, in other jurisdictions uh, when rebuilding the law um, the benefits come back um, multi-times over for uh, the fishing communities and the future of the fishery. So you can plan for, um, you know, m- more fisheries and a, di- a greater diversity of fisheries. We're kind of locked into a few species now that are high-performing, very few species, and uh, many others that have strong market potential are are just, um, you know, underperforming underperforming from a business point of view, notwithstanding what that means from an ecological point of view and having healthy oceans and making sure we're managing a system that's, um, uh, you know, really looking to future generations and uh, getting real value, both monetary value and the social and cultural value of uh, thriving fisheries. And I want to talk to you about the importance and the role of science in all of that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is Director of Science with Oceana Canada, Robert Rangeley. We'll be back right after this. Save the date. VOCM's dial a carol. Sunday, November 27th, 1 to 6 p.m. on your VOCM. And our guest today on On Target is Director of Science with Oceana Canada, Robert Rangeley. And Robert, you were mentioning the role of science. Uh, what kind of a role should science be playing in helping to create some of these stock rebuilding plans? Well, that, that is the fundamental uh, basis of an all-good fisheries management. That there's, there's two kinds of uh, sort of science inputs, two major kinds. One is... Uh, uh, you know, fishery dependence uh, science. Uh, that's like the surveys, the monitoring of what uh, fisheries take out of the ocean and other observations. And then there's the independent fisheries independent surveys. And um, uh, 
uh, you know, usually conducted uh, by Department of Fisheries and Oceans, although sometimes industry also participates in, in those surveys. So they are fundamental. We need to understand how many, you know, provide estimates of uh, the biomass, the, that's the weight and the number of fish that are in the ocean and uh, estimate mortality rates on those fish, both natural mortality and fishing mortality, and then aim for a maximum sustainable yield from those from those fisheries. We have gaps, uh, significant gaps. Um, it was just been in the news about the loss of science surveys uh, due to uh, vessels, uh, insufficient availability of vessels and capacity. Um, and, and that's a real problem. We, we create gaps in our fisheries. Uh, Department of Fisheries and Oceans uh, has very poor estimates of our fisheries monitoring. For example, fishing mortality uh, are underestimated. Um, the total mortality, not just the targeted catch, but the you know the bycatch and uh, you know uh, fish taken in, in bait and recreational fisheries and so on. So our audit does point out uh, a number of these gaps. But when it all comes down to it, um, we need to get the best available science, but we'll never have all the science. And part of the key here is to take a precautionary approach. And there are methods for managing under um, scientific uncertainty, which is just the reality of life. Um, and then there's two other inputs into the, the science, which it's not just managing around the stocks. And there's a number of them, uh, environmental and so on, two big ones. And ones we point on because, point to because they're so fundamental is the role of uh, forage fish, the importance of key fish for feeding um, not only commercial species, but just about everything else there. Think your uh, herring, mackerel, capelin. And the other big uh, science piece we looked at this year uh, in our audit was uh, the vulnerability of species to climate change and what we're doing about climate change in our and uh, adjusting the, the risks of climate change affecting our fisheries and what uh, how that's uh, how that's affecting management plans, which right now they're not doing much about it. So and everyone's worried about climate change. Everyone knows there's a problem out there. Well, that's part of the problem, though, isn't it? And you're mentioning some of that. I want to get into the forage fish and capelin and, and climate change in a few minutes. But yes. uh, in terms of the science and how it's lacking, I know that, you know, there's this um, uh, problem with the uh, stock survey again this year. And there was one last year, of course, because of the ve- vessel availability and mechanical issues and that sort of thing. But in terms of the methodology, I mean, the ocean is so huge. There are so many aspects that need to be looked at to get a really good picture. Uh, is the methodology we're using in in our ocean science lacking in any way how do you conduct it well the the methods are are well established it's it's it is a question of uh sufficiency of sampling um in any scientific survey of the sort of the natural world you have to look at a number of things are you getting the accurate um coverage so that might be the total range of the species and the distribution of your samples in in that range um, and so we we hear and we hear from fishermen that they're saying well they only sampled a small area but the fish are more broadly distributed um, are you effectively sampling the population as the fish highly schooling and aggregated in one area and your samples miss them either by time of year or uh, location um, and all those things are well understood by uh, DFO science and, and uh, you know, they do the best uh, they can on the survey design and sometimes they're, 
you know, they, they come up short uh, through logistic reasons, uh, might be weather, but um, increasingly we're seeing availability of vessels. So there's, there's a lot of vessels out there, including industry, and I know industry have said, you know, they're capable of contributing more to the science. They, there's much input from industry on science, um, but, um, you know, perhaps there needs to be some creative approaches. So it's, it's really about getting out there and sampling. You're right, it's a, it's a big ocean. We'll never count all the fish, and there's never an attempt to do that, but through uh, good models that are informed by uh, sufficient sampling, uh, you can get really good estimates. Um, and adjust those estimates so that they take some level of precaution because um, mm-hmm. things can change and change quickly. So DFO admittedly was unable to complete its fall survey again this year. Is that a far-reaching problem when there are gaps in the data? That Will that have impacts, you know, five, ten years down the road? Yeah, I can't answer that. I mean, it depends on how quickly they can catch up. It's always um, a problem when you lose, you get a break in a time series because for most of our species, they're fairly long-lived. And um, and you're trying to estimate the size distribution of the population. And what you really want to get, if take, take cod, for example, or place or redfish, you want to understand how many young fish and nearly recruited fish are coming into the fishery so you can plan ahead. So you want the size structure distribution. Just think of any kind of a population that's con- constructed of a number of age groups from young to old and so you want to be able to get that you get that from a time series so you can forecast okay well we're going to have a lot of fish coming up because i know there's young ones that are going to grow into the fishery in in a year or two so missing one year on the long term probably not that big of a deal it's it's messy it makes it messy and uh difficult um but this can't be a recurring problem or um uh, or we're just not going to have good estimates for our fishers. We're talking about those age classes and, and the like and, you know, how many fish are coming up through uh, reaching, you know, uh, sexual maturity or whatever the case may be. Uh, but it seems to me in recent years, uh, the science has been showing that uh, there is quite a bit of loss in those early juvenile type fish before they reach that sexual maturity. So you have this sort of a gap in the generations, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And they talk, uh, DFO talks a lot about removals, um, but we're never sure if it's uh, commercial fishing or the impact of, of predators. And we just had this um, seal summit in Newfoundland, yep. of course, uh, talking about some of those um, gaps in science and trying to find out the role of predators and all of that and, and what seal population and other predators uh, are having on fish stock recovery. So how would that science look? Well, we need to, you know, a a dead fish is a dead fish, right? So we need to understand what total mortality looks like um, uh, overall. And so uh, natural mortality, whether it's coming from seals or other sources, is an important thing to estimate. Um, You know, the bottom line is uh, we can only harvest for our fisheries whatever is surplus production that is what's left over after all sources of mortality um various you know young fish most young fish die and you know a very small percentage make it to an age size that um are uh, you know recruit to the fishery uh so we need to understand those population dynamics 
and um, and there's not a lot we can do about natural mortality. So yes, we need to understand that in the role. And there's a lot of seals out there, and they're eating fish, as are many other things. Um, but we can only control really um, our harvest rates. So um, that extra production production after. Uh, all sources of mortality are accounted for is the key to a sustainable fishery. And yeah, the reality is some years there'll be more natural mortality than other years. And uh, we have to adjust if if we don't want populations to crash, we want them to continue to grow. So there is production for those uh, populations of larger, older individuals that are contributing more to the future generations of that population of fish then we need to um, make sure we get the harvest rates right. Remember, larger fish produce a lot more eggs, and very few eggs survive. But, you know, the more big fish you leave in the water, the more uh, production you're going to have of young fish coming through the system, and some small percentage of those will will survive for the subsequent years uh, and availability for the fishery. So it's important to have a healthy, resilient, and that I guess the key word there is resiliency, a healthy, resilient population by having a good distribution of age classes and leaving lots of big fish available to uh, produce um, many, many, many more eggs than uh, smaller fish that are just, uh, you know, their first year of reproduction. Our guest today on On Target is Director of Science with Oceana Canada, Robert Rangeley. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Yes, today on On Target is Director of Science with Oceana Canada, Robert Rangeley. Oceana Canada just released the results of its latest 2022 Canadian Fisheries Audit. And um, Robert, you previously mentioned uh, the role of forage fish, of course, and um, yep. you've previously called for a moratorium on uh, the commercial capelin fishery. How are capelin doing? What are you noticing? Well, we don't know. <laughs> That's the problem. Um, all the signals are that the capelin fishery was not doing well. There's a lot of concern about capelin. Um, I, you know, the, they play such an important role in the ecosystem. And um, based on, uh, you know, DFO's uh, results uh, two years ago, I guess, we, we said, well, you know, this stock has not been doing good for like 30 years. Uh, and it's it's been at really low levels. And uh, why don't we take a pause on the capel and let them to come back? Other jurisdictions like Eastern Atlantic, Iceland, Norway, so on, they they uh, they open and close the fishery and they fish at sort of peak capelin availability, and then they shut it down when the stock goes down. Whereas we just keep fishing it at really quite low levels now. Um, there are questions around the science. One of the things that's important in their fisheries, we talked about science a little earlier, was establishing reference points. And unfortunately, we don't have good reference points for capelin. In fact, we don't have re- reference points for capelin. Uh, we did an, uh, an analysis on, on data-poor stocks, and it, and it really did show the stock was critical and that overfishing was occurring, but that's not official stats from DFO, but we just had to ask the question. It's currently uncertain status. Now, Department of Fisheries and Oceans is actively working on um, using the best current, best available science 
and uh, they have committed to having reference points for Capelin in March, uh, well in, in advance of uh, next year's decision on um, that Capelin fishery. So um, I guess we'll stay tuned until, uh, you know, over the winter and see how things go. Now, as, um, you know, the FFAW and others have pointed out, there there is some legitimate concerns about the um, – the current survey. We also talked about this in the interview about you know getting good science and uh, survey methodologies, and um, and uh, that's a problem. But people have to remember, like you know, these are individual species. You know, the fisheries we have, and they have different life history and behavioral patterns. And as everybody knows, Capelin School, and they come ashore to to roll on the beaches and lay their eggs. And uh, the schooling fish are, are really, just by the nature of it, hard to get a good estimate uh, sample. And uh, you can you can take a fish seine through a school of capelin or a school of herring or mackerel and get the, you know, you can almost fish the last school, <laughs> theoretically, uh, because of the way they're aggregated. And think you're, there's lots of fish out there until there isn't any. So the risk of overfishing highly schooling, what we call pelagic fish that swim in the water column, the risk of overfishing them is really high. I mean, it's high everywhere in the world, and it's been a traditional historic problem with overfishing. So we really have to take care of these fish, but everything eats them. You know, whales eat them, seabirds. How many tourist posters have you seen with a puffin with a capelin in its its bill? I mean, they're they're just so fundamental. They transfer all that important energy from... Uh, the plankton uh, accumulate that in, in sort of rich, uh, nutrient-rich uh, bodies, you know, the, lots of fat and lipids and so on, and uh, and transfer that energy to higher predators. So like mackerel and herring and capelin and other like species are just so fundamental to the marine ecosystem. So we have to manage them differently is the bottom line there. You mentioned climate change as well, and that's uh, something that, you know, is, is almost impossible really to gauge. I mean, it's the changes are continual and sometimes much faster than uh, many expect. And when you're talking about uh, the ocean, you're talking about uh, ice coverage, you're talking about ocean temperatures, you're talking about ocean currents, things that are happening off Greenland, Iceland, uh, the UK has impacts here in the Caribbean. Uh, you know, it, it, so how do you keep track of um, the impacts of climate change oh yeah i mean it's it is a big worry and everyone's worried about it well i mean it's it's good science i mean there's tons of science out there both on the oceanography measuring the physical conditions those things you just mentioned uh, ice water currents temperatures huge for the effects on species uh, and so on and uh, but also observational information, like everyone from uh, you know our Inuit and fishermen, and everyone's seeing the, the effects of these change. We all know that. Uh, the question is answering um, with the question with respect to our fisheries is what do we do about it? Uh, we know the causes of climate change, and we know we have to stop putting as much carbon in the atmosphere as we do. But meanwhile, a lot's already happening. So we have to assess the vulnerability of species to climate change. And um, and that's through science and modeling and uh, really getting a sense of um, are species going to decline as a result of climate change? Are they going to change their distribution? 
um, that can be positive too. You may have more southern species moving into more northern areas. So those factors have been uh, assessed. The, the question we asked in our uh, fishery audit this year is, uh, one, is there evidence? And two, what are we doing about it? So we went through all the science and management documents and found that uh, that the Department of Fisheries and Oceans produces on our fisheries in Canada and found that three quarters of our fish stocks do not formally consider climate change, despite the fact that there is some availability of scientific evidence of an effect of climate change. Now, there's tons more uh, we need to do, and I will acknowledge that there are uh, excellent scientific expertise in the Department of Fisheries and Oceans that are looking at this as well, a number of other scientists on the effects of climate change. So it's a rapid rapid and active area of research because of the importance of it. Um, however, from a fisheries point of view, you know, what the fisherman is going to do next year and the year after, that science information has to find its way into our management plans and uh, the decision-making process. And that's where there's a gap. Um, now, this is the first year we've done an audit of the climate change uh, role and or the decision-making with respect to climate change, but um, it, they got to do it. I mean, the department really has to uh, take into account in very uh, deliberate and explicit ways, okay, these fish are vulnerable. How are we going to adjust the management plans? And like I said, in some cases, there's examples of where it's, it kind of benefits an area uh, for certain stocks. But in the most case, there's going to be change happening and vulnerability to some species over others, and uh, we've got to account for that. So, I, uh, you know, that's one of our one of our recommendations to the department is to take into account in, in our fishery audit to take into account the impact of climate change, just because we're not doing it yet, and we got to get on on the ball on this one. What about uh, collaboration in terms of science? DFO, of course, is jurisdictionally limited, and while Canada is huge and is surrounded by oceans, um, it, it's limited to that uh, part of the globe. Uh, are we doing enough in terms of collaboration with other countries, other scientists around the world uh, on impacts of, of climate change? Uh, I know that there was some collaboration work with uh, scientists in Russia, for instance. I guess that's closed off to us now, if you know what I mean. But, you know, other parts of the world as well? Yes, it's one area where there's a tremendous amount of international collaboration, including um, our Department of Fisheries and Ocean Scientists, as well as um, of uh, the academic scientists who are feeding into this knowledge base. Um, yeah, because climate's a global problem. We have certain fish stocks that respond differently to climate change. That might be analogous in other areas, but also the climate models are the essential piece here. And uh, it's a huge consortium uh, through the IPCC and other scientists uh, contributing to um, the climate modeling. And, uh, you know, it comes down to, like, you know, maps of our oceans at different times of the year. What is the, what is the water temperature? What is the water temperature at different depths? What is the ice coverage? You know, and how is that perhaps affecting uh, water currents and salinity and so on? And so... Um, you know, so you take that layer, and, and that's where global, both the global models and, and the data from all the ships out there sampling um, are feeding into 
the that that new environment everything that lives in the ocean is facing and then the other question is the biological side so what are the implications what is the implications of uh, plankton production those small plants that are at the base of the food web um, and the copepods that eat that and krill and so on and then up to uh, the fisheries and so um, those are those are the kinds of questions and uh, you know there's some good good models and um and you know the signals are really clear and strong, and the science is just rapidly um, growing on the uh, physical effects on our oceans. And then we've got to figure out, okay, so what does this mean to life in the on the in the ocean and on the planet? You've got your 2022 audit out there, but you don't just uh, leave it as here's here's the information we've been able to gather and the data we've been able to gather. You're you're looking for some action, and I want to ask you about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today yeah. on on target is the Sci- uh, director of science with Oceana Canada, Robert Rangeley. We'll be back right after this. Your VOCM mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5:30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Guest today is director. Science with Oceana Canada, Robert Rangeley. And uh, Robert, Oceana Canada has put together a list of recommendations for Prime Minister Trudeau and Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray to address what you call the most critical gaps in fisheries management. What are you looking for? Well, if, if you've heard anything in the last little while from me, it's everything's urgent right now. and But we also have an opportunity and and that opportunity falls directly from uh, the new Fisheries Act, the Modernized Fisheries Act uh, in 2019, and the regulations that came down this year. So we're saying to the government, get on with it with the Fisheries Act regulations. That means prescribe all remaining stocks that are in the critical and cautious zones to the fish stocks provision in the Fisheries Act. So what that means is we've got regulations We've got regulations for only 30 stocks right now. There's another 62 stocks out for consultation. And then the other 100 or so stocks, more than 100, uh, we're expecting to fall in after that. So so that means it becomes the law to have rebuilding plans in place. And that's what we're calling for. But not only a rebuilding plan. A plan is just a plan. you got to actually act on that plan. And so we're going to be watching very closely, and we should all be watching very closely, that management decisions are consistent with the rebuilding regulations. Now, not, not everyone's going to be happy with some of the decisions in the short term, but it's crucial to getting healthy stocks and have a future with a more lucrative fishery and all those benefits. So the number one thing is to get on with it because the regulations allow two years to develop a rebuilding plan. So the clock is ticking. We just talked about climate change. We've got depleted stocks out there and we got a huge reliance on a fishery that's underperforming. So um, keep, you know, we want to see that straight. That's the number one. The other one is to integrate uh, ecosystem impacts into fisheries decisions. So that's we talked about forage fish, mackerel, capelin, herring. Uh, we got to manage those stocks differently. They're they're so fundamental to rebuilding other fisheries as well as uh, the biodiversity and life in our oceans. And of course, part of that ecosystem impacts is to address the vulnerabilities to climate change. So around those decision making. We need to take into account climate change. We talked about that quite a lot. 
The other thing we talked about was uh, the science. There's the fishery independent science, which is led by Department of Fisheries and Oceans, and there's some capabilities there. But there's the fishery dependent science, and that means counting everything that's in a fishery. We have a new fisheries monitoring policy that came out uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it hasn't been implemented anywhere. And it, it really does look at the the total mortality and the the objectives around whether there's you know an observer on board and the logbook data and everything else. And we're really not monitoring our fisheries well. And that's the breadth of the fisheries. It's not just the targeted fish, but it's the the bycatch. The, the bait fisheries, like many of our bait fisheries, they're taking lots and lots of fish out of the water for bait and not counting it anywhere. And, uh, and then the recreational fisheries are not really a clear account. There's not a clear accounting for that. So we've really got to monitor. And the department knows this, but for some reason, because they put in a new policy and new methods to do it, they're not doing it. And, and, and our, our fourth um, one, which is really fundamental, um, is to bring in the Indigenous communities and organizations and really that level of engagement. It's part of our commitment to reconciliation, but it also brings new skills and thinking into how we manage our oceans for the future. And that's called these sort of Indigenous knowledge systems. It's not just about the knowledge, but it's the system, the values, and combining that with the best available science. Um, you know, we have indigenous communities who have lived on and harvested the ocean for millennia. And, um, and there's some knowledge there. There's some culture and customs there that can be uh, brought to bear in, in local areas. So uh, those are the four ones. Um, Fisheries Act regulations, ecosystem impacts, fisheries monitoring, and uh, inclusion of indigenous knowledge systems into um, our fisheries management system. Do you have good communication with DFO and and the minister? Yes, yes, yeah. We're we're we and many other groups are are constantly in touch with them. This uh, I should add. This there's lots of reports that we and other uh, organizations produce, uh, science and so on. This this audit is very specific to analysis of the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Uh, information, science, and, and it's all coming from their data. Uh, we've we've previewed this with them. They've reviewed it. Uh, there is the department. If you read our audit, it's on Oceana.ca. Um, all that is there's there's no pushback from the department they agree on it uh from the minister's office uh, right down uh, we meet with the we just in uh, st john's meeting with the regional office as well um and uh and it's you know we're all trying to get to the same place ultimately and um uh and that's you know healthy oceans and you know lucrative economy based on you know wild fisheries and um it's just you know, there's, there's a big job to do. And I should add, just, you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, Oceana talking here. We we held a major uh, rebuilding fisheries abundance symposium in Ottawa a few weeks ago, uh, end of October. And we had fisheries experts there. We had um, good representation from Newfoundland, uh, FFAW, and others and um, researchers and uh, you know there was a considerable amount of agreement on the on the way forward not agreement on every detail 
But, um, you know, there's a real willingness to say, look, we got to get the science right. Uh, rebuilding is important and it's fundamental to our, uh, the health of our coastal communities. So um, I think everyone's on that page. Uh, we just got to get out of this mindset of thinking about fisheries in terms of, you know, the next total allowable catch decision every year and think about short-term fisheries yields and really think about the long-term investment and getting the most value out of those fisheries because it's, it's, they're performing very poorly now. You mentioned the willingness, and I do know that, uh, you know, people who are involved in the fishery, whether it be on the science side of things or whether it be as a harvester or someone who represents harvesters, everyone is passionate about it, and uh, they mm-hmm. all want uh, to make a contribution. Uh, I don't think there's anybody on the planet wants to fish the ocean dry, so to speak. You know That's what I mean? Right. That's right. Um, yeah. Everybody cares very deeply about it. I, are the policies in place to do that properly? Yeah, the policies are growing. That is one thing we've seen since uh, we've been on the scene uh, and sort of lobbying for federal policy change. And, uh, you know, we've seen fi- uh, funding and investment. And like I said, the, the major policies, changes to the Fisheries Act was huge. The fisheries monitoring policy. But there's a bit of an implementation gap. There's a lag between, you know, getting the right things in legislation, policy, regulations, and actually making decisions that are going to show change on the water. And that's the stuff we're pushing on it. It really makes a difference. Um, when you hear, you know, it, it, fisheries are complex. Like you said, there's a lot of passion. And you'll hear observations from industry saying, well, there's lots of fish out there. Well, that observational knowledge isn't science, but it's important. It's it's anecdotal information. So how do we, uh, um, how do we bring that information into the science and say, okay, there's something out there, and uh, and there and there's difference, maybe a difference of opinion, but we've got to base our decision making on good science and um, and bringing everyone to the table because uh, uh, you know it's important, and there's a lot of stakeholders and rights holders that uh, bear the brunt of uh, poor decision making. So yes, we have the policy. Uh, one way to look at it is. We have a lot of tools in the toolbox. Uh, What we need to do is take them out and put them into action so we uh, get more fish in the future. Robert Rangeley is the Director of Science with Oceana Canada. Pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Linda. It was uh, was fun talking to you. We'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Uh, And thanks for listening, everyone.